Masters of Divinity. I am your Jedi Master, JP, and I'm here with my two Jedi younglings, Father Chark and Matt Wells. I'm not, I'm not even a Padawan? I'm a Padawan. youngling? Tonight you are. I <laughs> mean, <sighs> <laughs> um, sure, you can be Padawans, I guess. Oh, gosh, what are you doing? That's professional. Yeah, that's how we get people like Rob Bell on the show. It's like those Google videos, uh, Google videos, YouTube videos of people who do like weird, like they do those kinds of sounds and then they, and they whisper into the camera. Oh, uh, those, the uh, ASMR. ASMR. Yeah, we could just do that. That could just be the podcast from here on out. ASMR <laughs> podcast. Matt eats chips and I go, th- and I say things like, your eyes are haunting and- and I die inside. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I am one with the force, and the force is with me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Matt. I'm your host, JP. I'm your moderator, JP, and I'm here with Father Chuck and Matt Wells. Hey, guys. How's it going? <laughs> How are you doing tonight? How many times have we started this podcast? <laughs> many times. <laughs> Sorry. I'm not even sure if we started if we have started yet. I don't, I don't know. Think, I don't think we've started. <laughs> I'm doing I'm I'm doing well. Good. I'm doing good very to, well, good, JP. Good, good to hear. Matthew, how are you? I'm I'm good, but I'm afraid to eat any more of my chips. I <laughs> well you that. should eat chips on a podcast. <laughs> it's like this is beginner stuff, man. It's beginner stuff. So uh, uh, no, don't 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 do it. Don't do it. Don't Sorry. Father Chuck. Father Chuck. Yes, sir. Execute order execute order sixty six right now. Is that is that, is that a prequel thing you just told have me do? Yes, it is. Wait, which prequel? The crappy the ones or the new one that's awesome? Alright, so uh, uh Rogue One came out over the weekend. <laughs> yeah, this is a big uh it's a big moment for us Star Wars fans. Uh, it's the first Star Wars movie to be a quote unquote standalone film. Uh, it's a movie that exists outside the main saga of Star Wars. It focuses on a band of rebels that steal the Death Star plans. What did you guys think? Brother Chuck, what are your initial uh, reactions to it? I I was blown away at how good it was. And I, I, I'm i assuming we're going to do like kind of an all-spoilers. Oh, yeah. This is a <clears throat> totally spoiler-fake episode of Master of Divinity. Okay. Um I, I also thought it was a really, really, really ballsy move to make it completely standalone. Yeah. In the sense that everyone dies in the end. <laughs> like, that was really, really gutsy to me because, you know, Star Wars is such a commercialized machine. And, right. like, and all of the, so many of the characters are really great characters. I mean, I know you could do like backstory stuff with them, but. You know, there are a couple of people in that that I mean, even Felicity Jones, like I'm surprised. Like, I'm just surprised they didn't build in some form of like franchise starter like exit clause. But they straight up. This was it. Well, I, I heard that was a rumor bold move. saying that she has signed up for two movies, but that might have changed. But still, you're right. You're right that this wasn't a, uh, a franchise starter. Yeah, this is just a, 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 a standalone siloed story within this very large saga and i thought it was great i mean i can't i can't there's not enough good that i could say about it that 
the way that it managed to capture the aesthetics of the 70s Star Wars while also still looking new. Um, the, I mean, even to the fact that, like, some, some of the actors, like, the, the hairstyles are, like, righteously 70s, you know, with, like, That's mustaches. I mean, they just really captured all of that um, <laughs> in, such a, in such a way that it was never, like, goofy. It was just, like, yeah, this is just the way the world is in Star Wars. Like, I, I don't know. I loved it. And, I, and like, the universe expansion – because like that's been one of the big criticisms of Star Wars that like I really hadn't given much too credit like too much thought or credence to over the years, but that you know for being this like massive galaxy with all these alien races, uh-huh. that it's only ever been about one family, and I mean I get that criticism it didn't really bug me too much, but this really kind of made me realize what the potential had been all along, to show how large and diverse I mean this really felt like a large and lived in universe, right Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it was good to I mean, as a kid, I was always kind of fascinated with what was going on in the peripheral of the stories. Right. And um, there always was an outlet for that. And it, and I always tell people when I saw this movie, it kind of felt like someone had a camera in my brain and like everything I thought only existed in my head was now on the screen. Matt, what were some of your initial thoughts for Rogue One, a Star Wars story? The iPhone moved my emojis. What? <laughs> I, just, I just went to text and the emojis are all moved around because they added crap. Um, it's annoying. I'm in professional mode, if you didn't notice. Yeah, um, I guess so. <laughs> I'm on vacation. I got three weeks off from the academy. I'm feeling, I'm feeling good. Um, I bet. But it's not helping my professional uh, demeanor, so I apologize. But, um, <laughs> well, but no. We're I also was, glad to have you back, by the way. Yeah, it's good to be back. But I was listening about expanded universes and um, introducing more characters and diversity as far as the not one family thing. Ironically, they just introduced a second family and made it all about them. They um, killed them all. <laughs> but, uh, but no, I, I really, 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 really hated it. No, I'm just kidding. I loved it. <laughs> I had Chuck for about a millisecond, but I couldn't even. I couldn't even keep it going. I loved it. I thought it was great. Um, yeah. I. I mean, come on. Uh, I, I I called JP and I said Kung Fu Jedi. Enough said. <laughs> Kung Fu Force Adept. I, I would say he was yeah. a guardian of the will, guys. Yes, guardian of the wills. Which I thought was a really, really nice nod to Lucas's lore. It's, it's freaking Ip. It's freaking Ip Man. That's all that matters to me. He's a Jedi now. Uh, well, so Wing Chun Kung Fu can just take that over every other martial art. Um, he's a Jedi now. <laughs> he didn't even use a lightsaber. Well, he used a stick. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the profound thing about um, – and I was going to point this out in the episode. Um, the profound thing about making him a quote-unquote guardian of the wills. Uh, for years and years and years, like originally in the second draft of Star Wars – the original title was uh, the Star Wars taken uh, uh, taken from uh, the Journal of the Wills, right? And Lucas got rid of that, but he kept it in the novelization of A New Hope. Okay. Um, so there has been like heavy debates since the novelization, since like the eighties, if the Wills, the the whatever the creature this is, the Wills is a canon creature, and now they have canonized it. Like, it, it totally exists now because of, uh, you know, Donnie Yen and his, his, his bro. Yeah. So I, I think that's fascinating. Yeah, no, I, I, was, I, was, I was really I, – I, I gasped when they mentioned that. Like, yeah. they mentioned that he was guardian of the wills. And I, like, I, I, I saw this with Keelan 
And um, and I like I kind of grabbed his arm. I was like, yeah. And, like I don't know. If, like, he's a he's a big Star Wars nerd, but I don't know if he's nerdy enough to know that background. And so I was like, yeah. And he, I, I think I got a crosswise look. But hey, it's cool. Yeah, um, I loved it. I had such a great time. Uh, I saw it in a very a very uh, a very empty theater. I was the first one there, which is a first for me. Um, and I might have been the only person in the theater that was like freaking out, especially in that last act. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you guys, I want to ask you guys some questions, sort of like a panel style, kind of like what we did with Star Trek. Uh, I've asked you your initial thoughts. You both love it. All three of us have loved it. It Was there like a, a standout character for you guys that you, that you really liked? Seriously, Matt? seriously, Donnie Yen's character. I can't pronounce his yeah. name. That's why I'm going is, is by it, his I, actual I name. Think it's, I think it's Chirrut. Chirrut? Or, yeah, Chirrut. Ch- I, Ch- 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 <laughs> I am Chirrut. I am Chirrut. No, seriously, his character, when, when they first introduced him, I was just kind of like, oh, that's cool. It's Donnie. Like, I knew he's in it, but still, watching him come out, I was like, oh, it's pretty awesome. It's him. Yeah. But then the more involved he got, the more I loved that character. I just really yeah. did. I think that he, uh, I just loved it. It's it's His. he he was one hundred percent JP. I told you this when I called. He one hundred percent is the mysticism of the Force. And right. None brought, of that metaphor. Yeah. Clap. He brought yeah. he brought back everything I love about Star Wars. And we talked about this when Force Awakens came out. How I was like. Um, it finally, it made the force like mysterious again, but his character was 100% devoted to that. He was entirely, it was like a religious point of view to the point where he's praying. Um, I, I just loved it. I loved his character and how the more he just had faith in the force and hope he could literally just walk through a battle. That scene yeah, that was, was so that cool. It was awesome. Um, yeah, I just his character to me was was his, my favorite. Yeah, his uh, his bowcaster was bigger than Chewie's. I don't know what that yeah, means. yeah, he took down planes with it, man. <laughs> oh, Tie fighter, sorry, not planes. Yeah, planes, planes. space planes. Well, he, hey, that was Lucas's original idea. Argue with me later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he took out that one like he knew that taking it out it would like angle and like take out that gunner. That thing was awesome. Yeah, <laughs> he is without a doubt the standout character for me in that. In that. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah, I think because he. For he embodies knowing that Lucas drew so much from Akira Kurosawa, he's like an Akira Kurosawa character, pretty much, you know. Um, and that was and that so that was awesome to see. Like, he was like straight from like the seven samurai, just like transported into Star Wars, or Zatoichi the blind samurai. Sure, I, (laughs) I just, you know, it's 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 it was just that, yeah, he was definitely a standout character. I, after. After him, I think I'd have to say K two or K two S O. Yeah, he's awesome. <laughs> um, I, every time, every time I think Star Wars can't possibly make me love a droid again, uh, proven wrong once again. Yeah, K two S O, voiced by uh, Alan Tudyk. Yep, who played Wash in Firefly and Serenity. Now, Fan favorite. Now I already know the answer, JP, but I will ask you because there's so many great characters in this. So for me to quickly sure. pick one, that's just personal. That is, it's a personal reason. <laughs> But who stood out for you, JP? Uh, that would be Captain Cassian Andor was my favorite character. I liked him a lot, too. Um, because, you know, Star Wars is is so black and white, right? Um, it is overall a, a like a, a morality story. So it has to be very black and white. 
this is right, this is wrong. And when we first meet Cassie and Andor, he straight up murders a guy that gives him information. Right. So he's a, he's already a very complex and a very like kind of pragmatic character, much like Kylo Ren in The Force Awakens. Or even Han Solo in the original pre-special edition cut of Star Wars, who straight up murders a guy. <laughs> oh, I, I mean, I, you know, he was held at gunpoint and, you know, this guy was, was, was working for Cassian, you know? That's true. So it's, it's kind of pretty, it's, it's different. Like Han shot him. Yeah. Cause he's, he's, you know, he's Han, but also he, you know, Greedo was going to shoot him. Um, but was he did this. To. Was going to <laughs> yeah. did not have the chance. That's what I. Do. That's what I said. That's Go what ahead, I said. It's it's like that scene though, right? But it's it's also it 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 goes. They go the length to, to differentiate itself from that. Like that, that was definitely saying like this is a new kind of character for this for this world. Right. Well, and and, and I and I kind of get the sense too that he sort of he sort of represents Han Solo on paper was supposed to be, right? You think so? Yeah, because like Luke and Luke and Obi Wan in A New Hope are like clearly like good guys, and then Vader right. and Tarkin are clearly bad guys, mm-hmm. um, and then um, you know Leia also a good guy. Like they're very clear characters, and who's good and who's bad. But Han is meant to fit that kind of you know not antihero, but that kind of you know he's he's a cynical character he's cynical. that's how george he's, lucas describes him yeah he's supposed he's to be gr- he's supposed to be kind of gray you know yeah um because he's you know he's he he is a criminal he hangs out among right. criminals but of course his arc in new hope is that he's going to you know do something redemptive in the end he's not just in it for money yeah he's um, not looking out for himself yeah but he's definitely like the pulp serial version of what captain andor is in this movie because right. this movie is like super gritty right. like and it is kind of it's like, very dark and gritty but you know what it was able to do that without being like miserable right i think and andor is also 100 percent a great example of something we never would have had if lucas was still in charge of this franchise i i, I agree that's yeah. why that's <laughs> think, why he changed things changed things to like han shooting second and had greedo because we don't want him to be a bad guy I would love to see him try and edit and explain away why this guy straight up murders somebody five minutes. <laughs> just just yeah. straight up shoots him in the back, literally yeah. right yeah. in the back. Well, but I, I, and, I, I love his journey because it's like an emotional journey. It's an emotional arc, which is something that isn't that common in Star Wars. Right. You know, he goes from like, I'm, I'm going to straight up, I'll, I'll do anything for this rebellion that sort of mirrors the Empire, right? But when they decide to go to Scarif, you know, on their own sort of accord, that's when they kind of finally become the rebellion. And what the rebellion sort of represents is that sacrifice and hope, and that's who he embodies then. Well, and that and that's where I, what I was interested in is that moment when um, when Donnie Yen's character um, he says, "Does he have the face of a murderer?" Yeah, I like that scene. And you know, because he's because when when he said that, I realized like, well, he already murdered someone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, but the answer was no, you know, but of course it's left, you're left kind of wondering whether he does or doesn't. Yeah. I wish I remembered the response exactly. Cause it was like something like, no, he looks like, looks like a something. I yeah. It was. Looks like a good guy basically. Something. Yeah. And then like, he doesn't take the Did shot. You say hero. 
maybe. Yeah, he looks at here, but, he, but he but he doesn't take the shot when he has it um, to, right. to take uh, to take out um, Galen. Right, Galen is that his name? Um, Galen, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, um, and he doesn't take the shot, and that, and that moment is really great because it's like morals have suddenly like he suddenly realized he has a moral base, and he just can't right. murder someone in cold blood, especially knowing that he might be able to use what this guy knows to help the rebellion. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and like, and it's, you know, it's, he's, he's not, and that's where he realizes, and that's where, you know, cause right after that is when he's accused of basically following orders, just like a stormtrooper. Mm-hmm. But he starts to realize that he can't, you know, that they need to be better than that. They can't just be stormtroopers. Exactly. And that's what inspires the entire rebellion to, to yeah. be the rebellion, which is right, right. beautiful, beautiful, right. uh, wonderful storytelling. Which uh, let's what? not let's not let's not neglect the great character that is Jin. I was very impressed. I, well, Huge I was fan. just about to ask you guys. Like, I was literally about to ask you guys what you guys thought about Jin. <laughs> Jin Erso, the the protagonist of uh, Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Uh, but can I first just say, um, if you are a a white brunette British actress in her twenties or thirties, and you want to be in Star Wars. Go for it. <laughs> now is the time. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, Jen Erso. Um, what did you guys think about her? She's the she was. This is her story after all. Yeah, I was. Um, it's funny when we were talking about our favorite characters. I was kind of. I had this sort of realization that I, 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 I don't know that she. You know that she's really was all that remarkable um, of a protagonist care, but. I don't know. I, one of the reviews I've read online has said that um, has described this movie that the protagonist of this movie is the whole is the whole rebellion, not just mm-hmm. her. Um, and I, so, and I think I agree with that assessment. Um, that being said, um, I felt her emotions a lot as the you know of someone who has felt abandoned by you know, the, the the whole. Another thing I'd read, I think it was in the Atlantic, had, read, had said something about that what they did in Star Wars, what they did, that they mined something in Star Wars that Star Wars does really well, and that is daddy issues. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I really felt that from her, though. Like, I really felt the daddy issues, I think, more than anything I ever saw from Luke or anyone else, mm-hmm. was this fact that, you know, she doesn't know if her dad's alive or dead, if he's a good guy or a bad guy, and that her surrogate father has abandoned her. And that and that just feeling of just like lostness, the fact that, you know, the first time we see her as an adult, she's in a prison. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, and we don't really, really even told why she's in prison. You know, it's yeah. it, it's it, it, you get the sense it's not for anything heroic. It's it's just a part of her life. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, I really liked I so I liked her as a character in that, but. I think that she was kind of overshadowed by some of the some of the secondary characters as the movie wore on. Um, yeah. But I was definitely on board with her stakes, and I I follow you know I wanted to see where things were going. And speaking of which, being a movie where I knew exactly pretty much how it was going to end, because yeah. if you've seen A New Hope, you know how it's going to end. Mm-hmm. I still had no idea how it was going to end. Right. Like I didn't know what was yeah. going to happen to her and what was, you know, and I felt, you know, like I, I, it was that, which was a brilliant, which was brilliant. Um, but 
But yeah, I don't know. I mean, I realize, like I said, she's kind of boring. And now that I talk about her more, I, I like her. Well, I wouldn't say boring. I think I think you're on the market for her being unremarkable. But Matt, you want to say something? Yeah, well, I just remarked a lot, so I don't know. Yeah, you remarked a lot for an unremarkable character. Um, <laughs> I I really liked her character. Yeah. I really liked the the strength they gave her character. She's also very pretty. I let's think be honest. that I think oh, yeah. that it was very purposeful. Those eyes. I think it was very purposeful that her character was not the center, like the entire center of the movie. Um, I think that they very much focused more on outside characters than other Star yeah. Wars movies. Yeah. So we're I not think she was still following. the driving force, though, when she, she came down to Oh, she's 100% the driving force of the movie, but the yeah. movie didn't follow her in the same way it does Rey and Finn in The Force Awakens or yeah. Luke in the original Star Wars. It, it gives you a lot more... Um, I think it gives you a lot more emotional investment in the the side characters which is saying which i realize i'm i'm talking about princess leia han solo like we had emotional investment but we had a trilogy to get there you know what i mean like you loved them right off the bat but you had a trilogy to get to know them this movie you had one time to get to know these people um well however sorry but what i but what i loved what i loved um well, say what you're going to say before I sidetrack it with what I loved about the character. All I was going to say is what is that? <clears throat> what I think is is that this is that the whole like core group there, rogue, mm-hmm. the Rogue One group, mm-hmm. um, they serve as a surrogate for the entire rebellion. Mm-hmm. And so I think part of what this movie does really well, and part of what its purpose is, is to give stakes to the whole rebellion, so that like, you know. You recognize that when Red Five gets goes shoot, gets shot down during the climactic scene, that yeah. even though you don't see who Red Five is, um, it's um, <laughs> it, you you know that like later when you see other people dying, you're like, oh, that's that's a person. Well, we all know yeah. why Red Five had to die. Yes, which I thought was a really great little I, wink I to too. the audience. <laughs> <laughs> but. Um, yeah. For those who don't know what the wink was, Red Five is Luke Skywalker's call sign so, in A New Hope. And if you listen to this podcast and don't know that, I don't. We we have failed you. I'm spe- <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm keeping an eye specifically to my mother, who faithfully listens to like every episode. Um, oh. We, you know, Red Five had to die because Luke Skywalker had to become Red Five. That's the bottom line. Yeah. Um, but I think that what I love about what I love about Jen's character in this movie. Um, is it reminds me... See, we live in this weird world, JP, where Star Wars movies are coming out after other franchises that have shaped culture. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, Jin is like a Katniss Everdeen from Hunger okay. Games. And I, I'm a I'm the book reader. I love the books. The books do a much better job of you really investing into her characters. Yeah. And, yeah. Into her character, I mean. Um, but what I loved about the Hunger Games books is Katniss Everdeen is like an accidental leader. She gets thrown into this position and she's trying her best to make a decision one at a time for how do I survive? How do I take care of the people I love around me and get to the next step? And by doing that, she becomes the face of a rebellion. And to me, that's what Jin was. She got thrust into this situation. She's going, how do I survive? How do I take care of the people around me I care about? And she inadvertently becomes the face of a rebellion. Um, so I love how her character shows like the way that you lead people to 
to become their best and you lead people to fight for what's right and you lead people to stand up against things that are wrong and people and stand up for people that are oppressed is by being the best you you can be and Mm. taking care of the people around you and she focuses on that person next to her and that turns her into the person standing in a room telling them how they're how they have to stand up for the for the galaxy and how we're going to fight for everybody. When what she's really thinking is she's grown close to this group of people. Her father's there or was there. She had the chance to meet him. She lost him. She has these people she cares about. She can't lose them too. And by mm-hmm. focusing on that, she becomes a voice going, we have to stand or we lose everything. Right. Um, and I, I love those like, it's not... You know, every other Star Wars movie, they get thrown into the situation, but they know they're part of something bigger. They're Mm -hmm. immediately off on some journey trying to accomplish something more. They have a message that's going to save the world. Um, Her character, she didn't really care so much about the message at first as much as she wanted to find her dad and find out what right. happened. Well, um, it was, she found that when she found her, his initial message when she found saw that was sort of like the point of no return for her. Right. Cause that was a very emotional moment for her. But it was also, it was also when she at that point decided she was going to do anything she needed to, to right. see her, for her fa- dad, to see her father again. Right. Then when she watched him die, she realized we're a part of something so much more. And she took the next step and started watching out for everybody else. Whereas like Luke Skywalker goes off to save the galaxy. Like, see, this is what I don't understand. Like you have people saying that she, she had no characterization like that. That is like beat for beat. Like that is the definition of characterization. Like she has a journey. Everyone in this movie has a journey they go through that gets to the point where they embody like the message of the movie, which is hope. Right. Mm -hmm. So I I agree with you. I I think, um, Jenner. So is a great character. I know for a fact um, this movie actually had some 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 trouble uh, in the production process. I don't think what we saw was exactly what Gareth Edwards, the director, had in his head, because they actually brought in other direct uh, an, an, another director and another writer to kind of go over some things and reshoot some things. And that yeah. director was uh, Christopher McQuarrie, who directed um, Mission Impossible Five. And uh, I think he was involved with um, that other Tom Cruise movie. Um, Jack Reacher? No. <laughs> the no. Mummy. Uh, no, uh, no. The the the, 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 the time travel the time travel one. The oh, I, I'm Edge of Tomorrow. Edge of Tomorrow, yeah. The one that should have been uh, titled um, um, Live Live Die Repeat or whatever. Yeah, yeah. it was yeah. it was retitled. I actually like Edge of Tomorrow personally. Um, so. <laughs> And, and they also brought in, they also brought in uh, screenwriter Tony Gilroy, an extremely talented writer. Uh, he wrote Michael Clayton, which is a great movie. Um, so they had to do some some reshoots, some rewriting, and stuff. I feel like a lot of Jin's character is kind of on the cutting room floor. And I've been saying for a while since The Force Awakens that Star Wars movies really do live and die in the editing room. That's always kind of been a tradition since the very first Star Wars, when Marsha Lucas pretty much saved Star Wars with her editing skills her and her team joseph khan and um forgot the other guy Oops, sorry so uh, if you guys I, i've watched the trailers and stuff a lot of the scenes that are in trailers aren't actually in the movie and there was a lot of footage i saw where generoso would deliver her lines and i was actually very worried because they came off very like kind of stilted um and i don't know kind of reminded me of like old prequel star wars but 
that wasn't the case in this movie at all. So whatever magic was done, they pulled it off swimmingly. They did get rid of the line because I kept waiting for it. They did get rid of the line about it's a rebellion. I so I rebel. I rebel. Yeah. They got rid of that one, right? Yeah, they did. I actually kind of like that line. I, I ran. <laughs> I kind of I kind of like the line. I was waiting to hear it in context. Uh, so, what did you guys think about the big bad in this movie, the villain, uh, Orson Krennic, played by the uh, wonderful Ben Mendelsohn? Oh man, he had a cape. Great. <laughs> that cape. That cape. That cape's gonna gonna win an Oscar this year. It made him. It made it very like theatrical. He was a very theatrical. Um, you know, he's. It was great seeing the scenes with him um, opposite Grand Moff Tarkin. Because yeah. Tarkin is so subdued as a villain, very you know that gaunt face, and you know there's no there's no flamboyance. The fact that the fact that um, this guy was flamboyant enough to wear a cape, and like yeah. I love like his first appearance. He has a shorter cape, and it's part of his like <laughs> it's like his he has like a special like weather cape that he wears when it's raining out. If you notice yeah. that he has on his his costume changes based off of his. Um, you know, and it looks like the cape gets longer as his rank increases or whatever. But um, you know, it's kind of cool to see another. You know, see him wearing he wearing the white uniform, which the only the only other character that I've ever been aware of in any Star Wars anything to wear the white the white uniform is is um, is um, um, Grand, Grand Admiral Thrawn. Yes, <laughs> um, from the uh, the expanded universe novels. Yeah, from the Thrawn trilogy. Yes. Who is who has just been made canon is now he's going to be in season three of Rebels. Yeah, which I'm kind of interested in. Um, yeah. Yeah, I remember being like in fifth grade trying to read those books and just like I wasn't really into books at that age, so I just couldn't do it. But <laughs> they, yeah, they were a little a little above uh, my my reading level when I discovered them. But I did eventually read them and I loved them. Um, but uh, yes, Orson Krennic, I think I thought was a great villain, um, I, and I thought Ben Mendelsohn embodied that like imperial officer role perfectly yes i thought he was a great villain i can now officially say though i do not understand why he is the limited edition magic band at disney right now (laughs) he is yeah i went to disney i was very excited we went to disney this weekend it is a star wars opening weekend and i'm going to disney i'm I'm gonna be near hollywood studios i was super excited First thing I did when we walked into Magic Kingdom was go see what the limited edition Magic Band was because I figured yeah. Star Wars. Um, it's him. Did you I get like, it? No. I don't, why not? Because I don't want him. On, I don't want him on my wrist. Okay. Just like why not? <laughs> I thought he was an awesome character, but I don't want him on my wrist. Like, and and people who don't know because you're not Disney fanatics like uh, Father Chuck and myself who have annual passes, um, the limited edition Magic Bands make different noises not and light all, up differently. Not all of them, I found out. Um, not this all one did, them. though, oh, did or, according okay. to the lady did. Um, and it's shaped differently. It's oh. rounded off and flat. Oh, interesting. Does, does, <laughs> um, it, does it have a cape that flows off of it? Because that would be awesome. No. But, um, but yeah, I, I was disappointed. Like, I saw it and I said, why? Because I don't care how great the character is. Bottom line is I'm just wearing an old guy on my wrist. Hey. Like it's, mm. And it's not... You could have given it like you could have given it to your like Disney fanatic, Father Father Chuck. <laughs> it's like forty bucks. You have to buy your own. <laughs> but um, yeah, great great villain. Um, great, yeah. He, Overshadowed once again by five seconds of Darth Vader. Well, of course, <laughs> his interaction with Vader was was awesome though, right? Uh, it was pretty cool actually. I like the uh, 
careful not to choke on your um, on your ambition and your ambition. I thought that was like awesome. Just cinematography and framing, right. where like he stops, he turns around, he he has that gripping position. That's just sort of revealed. Like, oh, he's choking him. Yeah, yeah but I, then but then he smirks behind Vader's back. He actually smirks back at him. Yeah, like, yeah. I thought that was woof. I uh, uh, but no, I just mean the hallway. Come on, dude. Well, we that's the thing hallway? is that last seek. I, I like as I, I, I still think that Vader's reveal might have been. It might have been a little hokey, but I think it would have been way cooler if his reveal had been just that last one. Yeah, no, that last hallway it was like awesome. if that if that if that had been the first time you saw him in that movie was that just that darkness and you hear his breathing and then the lightsaber ignites like and that's the first time you see Vader in that movie that would have been unbelievable. Oh, um, yeah, nightmares. I mean, I just assume that's how he always walks down hallways. I don't know, you know, but <laughs> I uh, but that being said, that joke didn't land. I love no, it didn't. <laughs> that being said, that being said, the earlier reveal of him was really cool because yeah. one, I love yeah. the cinematography of the door opening and his shadow just keep getting bigger and bigger. Like I kept like waiting for the shape of the helmet, you know. So mm-hmm. like his reveal is this looming huge shadow, and it's so like, it's so like old school Hollywood yeah. to have that kind of shot, and and that whole sequence, and it was cool to see Vader in that role rather than just as a killer to see him in some form of a political role. Right. So I, when he went like, like on his castle. Yeah. Yeah. When they're at the <laughs> castle. castle, which it's kind of cool to know that he lives on the planet where his, he became Vader. hollowed out volcano lair. Right. Yes. And, uh, I, I did, <laughs> I did some further reading on, um, Darth Vader's castle because that was, my, that was one of my fanboy moments of this movie because George Lucas and uh, Ralph McQuarrie always talked about Vader having a castle, but they never able to realize it on screen. Uh, so there's always this sort of artist interpretation of what it would look like. Uh, they, they had in some expanding universe stuff. It didn't really do go anywhere. Real, real quick. But, can, can we admit that it looks, it looks just a little bit, just a little bit um, <laughs> like, um, like, like, Sauron, Mordor. like Mordor. A little bit. Yeah. A little. Yeah. I'm okay with that though. Some brutalistic architecture. Yeah. So. Um, but uh, so it, it was cool. I, I read somewhere into it, and apparently he really is at the spot where he became Vader. That's on the planet Mustafar, and it does overlook the area where he was left for dead. And he's actually – that fortress was built there by the order of the emperor because he wants Vader to sit there and meditate on like just – just hating Obi Wan and like he wants to feed his hatred. That's a dark, yeah, exactly. The dark side. So <laughs> he he literally is just sitting there, and this is what all the artists have been saying about this. He literally just sits there in his Bakken tank and he just meditates on hatred. And they also said there's um, there's there's like some secret caverns beneath the castle, like a secret Sith cave that um, may or may not show up in further installments. Interesting. So uh, I'm thinking Kylo Ren makes a little pilgrimage. Perhaps to Ooh, that would be awesome. I know, right? That'd be awesome. Oh, that would be awesome. <laughs> I um, I I I like that you got to see him in the back to tank. There was a moment of panic where I was wondering if when the water level was dropping down, and if it was going to be Hayden Christensen's face. <laughs> um, there was a rumor that he was going to be in that movie. So really, I, I learned that later though. 
Um, but I got to say, if, if, if they had, I don't know if I would have minded, actually. Because I actually like seeing Jimmy Schmitz in this movie. Yeah, I asked some friends who are like, it totally t- took me out of the movie because it made me like normalize the prequels. <laughs> you know, it's a joke, but to still. Me, to me, if anything, it 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 kind of it made the prequels actually kind of matter. Yeah, like, it put some weight into them and improved them a little bit to have right. to have um, Bail Organa sitting there. Right. Yeah, I mean, and, he, he's, yeah, he's and the same on, so. and the same actress who played Mon Mothma in Episode Three. Uh, that's very true. Um, which is a deleted scene, yeah. which I think they they may work back into Revenge of the Sith. But do we care about Revenge of the Sith? I kind of I think it's entertaining. Yes, it's entertaining. I'll leave it at that. It's entertaining until oh god, uh, that awful line. From my perspective, the Jedi are evil. I'm sorry. I I, I just I hate. I have to hate on that movie for a moment because <laughs> you can hate on that movie for as long as you want. Because like, <laughs> Anakin is sort of conflicted. Until like, until suddenly he's a bad guy, and then it's like once he's a bad guy, he's like I've always been a bad guy, and I'm awful, and I'm totally awful, and I have no qualms about killing children. Um, what did you guys think about the um, CGI characters, um, Grand Moff Tarkin and uh, Princess Leia? There's been a lot of criticism for these two characters, a lot of uh, criticism towards their 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 realness, and also uh, whether or not it's like the right thing to do if it's a, if it's you know ethical. Yeah, Matt, I think? loved it. Just deal with it. <laughs> now, if like I, I I made a joke when I walked out of the movie, I was like, well, crap. Soon we're not going to even need actors because it'll just put that on the. That's thing. what Lucas once um, said. Yeah. However. That to me would cross an ethical line if you replace a literal living actor with a younger version of them and do an entire movie. Um, there'd be something there. But as far as for like what they used it for here, I loved it. I thought it was great and it looked great. I thought they did a good job with it. I thought that it tied together well and we all knew where the movie was going. So yeah. I don't know. Now the question is, did they did they pay royalties at all to the people who it looks like? <laughs> would, would be the well, question. <laughs> K- Carrie Fisher once made this joke at uh, an AFI, the the AFI celebration of George Lucas award show, whatever. She said she made a joke that every time she looks in the mirror, she has to pay George Lucas money. <laughs> and I always wonder if that actually meant that like he does own her likeness rights. So like I wonder if Lucasfilm. Yes. <laughs> well, it's, I'm sure it's Princess Leia's likeness, right? It's meaning they own her dressed as Princess Leia. Right. From what I understand is that if they, if any of those character, if any of those actors show up in the context of Star Wars, mm-hmm. they have to pay Lucas money. Like, uh. meaning like, like if they, like if their likeness is yielded to like the cover of a novel or okay. a comic book or something. I, I, I think that's how it works out that he owns their likeness insofar as the like that, that, that is the likeness of the character. Like action figures and stuff right. too. Correct. Yeah. 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 Right. Okay. Um, but I mean, I thought personally in this movie, I thought it was done well. I liked it. I liked what they did with it. Um, yeah. I don't have any. Chuck, you're a fan of Tron legacy. Oh yeah. Uh, right. So, so Tron Legacy. Uh, there, there's a CGI Jeff Bridges character. A young one. Yes. Where they reanim they they anim- re I don't know reanimated his likeness. Um, they de-aged him. It's digitally. It's, it's right. Just, it's like in the Terminator movie. They did the same thing in the last Terminator movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger. 
Oh, yeah, that was actually pretty good, too. Yeah. And they also did it. They did the similar thing with Robert Downey Jr. in the opening of Civil War. Mm-hmm. And that was, like, perfect. And yeah. Robert Redford – or not, not Robert um, – um, Michael Douglas at the beginning of Ant-Man. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Forgot about that one too. Good, yeah. well done, sir. See, Disney does good work with this well stuff. Well done. And they pioneered. Well they pioneered it with all of that. Tron Legacy. Holy crap! All of that was Disney, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. Except, <laughs> well, except for Terminators. Terminate, ter- except no. for Terminator. No. But I wonder so if ILM did the work. Wow. Probably. I didn't huh. realize. I totally did not realize that Disney is the only one doing this. Uh, well, we have to find out about who did Terminator. Because traditionally, Terminator was done by Stan Winston Studios, but I don't know if that's still right. did. anyway. Um, so, okay, so Tron Legacy, yes, Kevin Flynn um, in the beginning of the movie is shown as young Jeff Bridges, kind of close to what he looked like in the original Tron movie, and then later they meet Clue, his digital doppelganger, who is being a computer copy of him. Um, doesn't age and so throughout the movie he is young um so so okay so you, so why why is this pertinent to the conversation jp other than oh, i figured for an excuse you, to try you, to like make fun of me for liking tron legacy <laughs> i'm not trying to make fun of you i figured you would have respect for for uh recreating humans with cgi but but that one but, was uh, you would have a certain a certain certain eye for it a certain you know i mean i i, I wasn't ever gonna like disagree like i i, I thought I thought the uh, – I mean, I agree with Matt. It's different. Yeah, but I would argue. I, I, but, I, but as for the actual technology behind it, I think it was extremely well done that for a moment – when I saw Graham off Tarkin, for a moment, I was like, how are they doing this? Like – Yeah. It, the, when you, the, for me and for any viewers now, I'm probably going to ruin Rogue One for you from here on out. You already told them everyone dies. Well, no, no. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to ruin it in the sense of you can always tell when you look at mouths. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it was once like I saw detail. once I saw Tarkin's mouth, I realized, oh, this is a this is a CGI like over mapping thing Thanks. they've done over a face. Thanks for ruining my right. life. And um, and so if, that's why if you'll notice after the initial shot of Tarkin, he's almost always speaking like at an angle or in a shadow. Mm-hmm. Um, it's never like they they learn that they cover it up a little All bit. All right, we got it. The movie sucked. Move on. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I just I, I I personally feel like I I thought they were pretty amazing. I was I amazed were, by the, how realistic it was. I mean, this was saying like uh, if it had not been for that paying attention to that detail, and that's just something I've noticed in uh, in all my in, in in all the movies I've seen. Um if I had if it had not been looking for that detail, I would never have known that that was a CGI character. Right. And my argument is when it comes to special effects, like just because you you notice that it's a special effect doesn't make it a bad special effect. And I feel like people are are so disillusioned with CGI because it's so noticeable. But just because it's noticeable doesn't mean it's bad. Right. Like there's never going to be a special effect you don't notice. I mean, there might be some like invisible effects, but um, it just doesn't make it bad in my eyes. The first Fast and Furious movie. When the first one, if you watch it now, it's so obvious. But when the first <laughs> one, when the first one came out, critics were saying it was finally great to see a blockbuster film that didn't rely on CGI. When right. the cars in every race were entirely computer generated. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, and like green screen technology. Well, and this stuff. this actually brings up a point um, for a little bit of a diversion here. Uh, there's something actually I thought about while watching Rogue One because I was so blown away by Grand Moff Tarkin that as I was watching it, I was like so like amazed at like, how realistic this looked. But then mm-hmm. I also kind of – I had a brief moment where I remembered the first time I saw Forrest Gump and how we were blown away by how realistic it looked for oh, Tom yeah. Hanks to be interacting with 
with JFK. Mm. But like you watch that now and you're like, oh my gosh, that's so obviously fake. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and it's all the maps too. Yeah. And, and so that, that, that's why it's, that's, that's how I actually, for how I first started noticing it. That's that it's from, that, oh, yeah. it's from that. Yeah. But like, so there's a degree in which our, like in our brains, we like suspend disbelief. And then when the technology progresses and we look at it that's later, even, that's even, this is a, a drastic example of that. I was watching, um, I was probably 13 watching Lost in Space on TV, the old black and white Lost in Space, not the movie, the uh, real Lost in Space. And there's a scene where they shoot some kind of like grappling gun and it's traveling through the air and you can see the cable very clearly (laughs) that is guiding the, the thing. And my dad behind me goes, man, I remember how when I was little that was so real. And he's like, and it looks so dumb now. And I, and that's exactly yeah. what you're saying. Like, yeah. He saw that and was like, wow. I see that and I'm like, it might as well be marionettes. Right. Yeah. It's all in context. And mm-hmm. like, you have to remember that. And that's why, and that's why I, t- I will just say for a moment, just to, I'm still blown away by Jurassic Park. I love Jurassic Park. Like, yeah. It, it's, the CGI like, in that movie even, is still incredible. It's and still, I don't it's notice still incredible. It. Yeah, I think it, I, I mean, I, I feel like I've kind of noticed some some things, but that's just because I've seen it so many freaking times. Um, it's, it's kind of unfair. Um, but for me, like even like when I watch, I remember we watched the um, the original trilogy, the original not special edition trilogy at Matt's house. And uh, you could, I mean, the seams are, you know, you, you can kind of see some stuff, but it's kind like, of, it doesn't make it <laughs> kind of, <laughs> like, wow. like, 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 like when the, when the, when the speeder goes by in the desert you can actually see like where they've cut out the, like you can see, see like where they put the Vaseline on the camera and stuff. Yeah. And, like, it's rough. Like, it, it really is. I love like it the, though. It's still better than the, yeah. the, the other ones, but it's rough. It, it is rough. <laughs> Especially but like, um. The, the the scene in the New Hope when they're on the Millennium Falcon, they're shooting at the Tie Fighters. Like you can see the shading around the Tie Fighters, like right. these little blocks. I'm gonna <laughs> like when they where they filmed just the Tie Fighters alone. I want to do I want to do our fans, the millennials out there who, you know, there's some out there who still may not have watched the the original ones, yeah, or at least not the real original ones. Do yourself a favor. Do not watch it on a 60-inch high-definition TV. <laughs> yeah, probably go, not. Go find yourself. That's yeah. what JP and I did, and it's bad. It's really bad. <laughs> go find yourself some crappy old – go to, like, your grandma's house and find the TV that she hides in the guest room that's covered in dust. Um, like an old Emerson? At least – at least. Find a VCR. At least – if you can find a VCR, ideal. But if you happen to have the DVD like I do that has the original – original the real originals on them as like a special feature yeah yeah at least plug your old dvd player into an ancient tv so that you get the <laughs> crappy quality of the screen because those movies are priceless and incredible but if you put them on a 60 inch high definition it's just not fair to the movie i'm gonna it's take really not. i'm gonna take a moment to um remind our listeners that i own the star wars trilogy non-special edition on vhs nice Yes. And you have the the, uh, the the really old school VHS boxes, which is uh, very impressive. Uh, my favorite ones, actually, favorite artwork. Yeah, yeah. With the um, um, who did the posters on those? The um... Japanese guy. Um, of course. Oh no, no, no it wasn't. It wasn't <laughs> Drew Struzan. Um, I forgot. 
Um, yeah. I have one of his posters. Except for my except for my Return of the Jedi, which if got you're, eaten you're, by my dog. If you're if you're a listener who's joining us since long before, back in the day when we started this, and you haven't heard the original episodes, my of course was not in relation to a Japanese person drawing the picture. It's in the fact that Father Chuck is obsessed with all things Japanese. It's true. So of course, he would own the ones Japanese drawn. It's true. I'm a weebo. It's true. <laughs> um, so let, let's geek out here a little bit, guys. A little bit, as though we haven't bit. already. Yeah, well, we're going to go into full geek mode here. Let's just talk about that third act. When the you amazing say, third act. When you say third act, I want to know what you mean by third act. When they take on the planet. When, when they, they go to Scarif. When you have okay. you mean leader, go to full-on space you mean the, battle mode. The space battle that feels Gold like half leader. the movie. Gold leader. <laughs> Gold leader. Red leader. Blue this leader. is what we're yeah. talking about. The, yeah. the moments when you're like, oh, my goodness, we're leading up to the original Star Wars. Because yes. these are all the people we know. Yes. JP, JP. You've got a Mont Calamari capital ship. That's right. JP's got to talk about, he's got to spend a moment or two talking about how this movie redeemed the funny hat rebel guys for him. Um, yeah. <laughs> whatever you call the funny hats. Yeah. I mean, if we can go back to that, that Vader scene, um, like my whole life. Oh, the guys on the, uh, the guys on the, um, the weird hats. The, on yeah, yeah. On yeah, Leia's Yeah. Yeah. I always looked at them as like punks. Like they go down like punks, right? Like mm-hmm. they got killed by stormtroopers. The door useless. opens. They go pew pew, and they're all dead. Like yeah, my whole life, dead. I'm like those guys are lame. This movie turned them into heroes. Yes, they this movie they had like an, an, a beautiful shining moment in this movie. The fact that they are running away from Darth Vader with the plans in their hands, running. From knowing. ship to ship, they have a knowing. three. They have a three point five inch floppy disk in their hand, and they are <laughs> yeah. running, knowing they will not live through from... it. Yes, yeah. um, that just that totally redeemed those characters in my eyes. And I think Father Fun said in one of his uh, one of his his, his his one of his beautiful uh, Advent day Advent calendar videos he does with his daughter. It's adorable guys. Um, he says that like it it managed to make a New Hope better. Yeah. A movie that's already perfect is is made better by this movie. Perfect. And it's, a new hope. Perfect. Really. Yes. What, okay. do, what are we? What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing right now? Did we just spend like three hours going on and on about high, uh, about Star Wars, and now you want to argue with us? <laughs> I just like no. I'm just saying like a new hope is a very good movie, but it 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 is far from perfect. Like it is not a perfect like the closest to perfection you're going to get in a Star Wars movie is Empire Strikes Back. I mean, uh, aside from the fact that Luke spends all of six minutes training to become a Jedi, you're you're jumping into a huge debate right now about <laughs> the original Star Wars franchise. Well, I, I diving I, right into it. You know, it. to me, I I think it's I think it's perfect, Chuck. Whether or not it's perfect, it's still uh, probably one of the best movies ever made. If can you I, ask me, can I just say what I think is great? And I actually, JP, I actually can't remember how long it's been since I've seen the the special edition of A New yeah. Hope. Um, the, you know, the remastered one? Yes. I think mm-hmm. I, it may be when it was released in theaters, and I went to go see it in the theater. So I don't remember what they edited and what they changed here. What I love, though, is when JP and I rewatched the original, the old original release, not no special edition nonsense, and we watched that movie, and we both walked away and went, it is so blatantly 100% clear that this was never intended to be anything but one movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, it couldn't be any more clear this was a standalone movie. Oh, yeah. No, totally. <laughs> I, um, um, and his dad, like, was not 100% clearly dead. 
no question, yeah. no surprise. I am your father. It was one hundred percent without a doubt. He is dead in that movie. Your dad's dead. Vader <laughs> killed him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I here's so I mean, as Kevin Flynn did teach us in Tron Legacy, that perfection is always right in front of us. Yeah. Um, and so you know that that the the me the point being that we think perfection is something objective. But as JP says, it is in fact subjective. It is perfect to him, so therefore, it is perfect. Thank you, Kevin yes. Flynn. Thank like, you. I subjectively <laughs> okay. believe that you just picked one of the most imperfect movies to <laughs> speak about perfection, um, which might make it perfect. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Just just I, uh, so, but yeah. but the, the, this this third act, guys. This third act. Uh, the what did you think about the scene where you know Jen and Cassian are on the beach? Like, did you think for a moment that maybe they might, <laughs> I don't know, escape? Oh, well, there was, I will say one thing about that is I, there was a moment where I thought they were going to kiss. Yeah. And I was like, oh, please don't do this. Because that, that, I think that would have cheapened whatever relationship they had if they had tried to turn it romantic. Because there were a couple moments toward the end there where I thought that's where they were trying to go with it. And I kind of like that they left it as either or. Like, it could go either way. Like, I was, that the scene, was that the scene where he said your father would be proud, would be proud of you? I think so, yeah. Beautiful man. Yeah, but I um, but that being said, like I, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna quote Keelan on this, even though he wasn't talking about these two specific characters, but he was. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna use what he said about some other characters in the movie, and that is that it's pretty amazing that the characters in this movie, in their final moments, is more emotionally res- like. There's much, there's much more emotional weight and everything mm-hmm. than when Han dies. Oh, totally. And yes. Like you, you, you're more moved by their sacrifice than you are by Han Solo's death. I know. That's such a shame is, too. It is a shame. Um, Bodhi's death I thought was the most, was the most emotional for me. Yeah. Cause he's the first one to go down. Kind of. Kind of. Yeah. Um, he just goes, I really liked his character, by the way. We haven't talked about Bodhi. <laughs> no. He was the, the, the Imperial pilot guy that yes. kind of ended up being the hero. Yes. Apparently a character who received complete extensive rewrites and reshoots. I heard about that. I, I heard about an interview someone had with him. Uh, what's his name? Riz Ahmed? Yeah, Riz Ahmed. And um, he said, like, the character that's in the movie was not who, who I set up to be. <laughs> like, it's completely different. From what, what was on the page, I would love to see what the pre reshoot stuff was like. But yeah, I love that they totally sort of stayed within the tradition of Star Wars, where that scene was sort of intercutting between like that that final different battles going on at once. We got sort of like a land battle going on at the beach and at the space battle, and of course Jen and uh, Cassian trying to get the uh, the data plans. And of course, you know, you're living or dying in the editing room. That's when editing really really comes in handy. And I thought this whole thing just flowed perfectly. It was yeah. a little slow. A little slow initially. Yes. Right? What did you guys think about Saw Gerrera, Forrest Whitaker's character? Um, because Lucasfilm is really trying to push this character. Right. And I, all I know is that he is a character that first showed up in the Clone Wars um, uh, TV show. Right. And it was just announced today that he's going to show up in the Rebels yeah. TV show. Uh, Voice by Forrest Whitaker. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued in the idea of him being someone that the rebellion thought took things too far. 
that was interesting. Yeah, kind of kind of like a jihadist. Yeah. Well, that was. <laughs> I mean, please the 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 scene in Jeddah, which I would love to talk about Jeddah. Um, oh, me too. But um, the scene in Jeddah where the Imperials are basically like, there's a tank. I mean, they yeah. have a, they have a tank, a legitimate like U.S. Mili- looks like a U.S. military issued tank, and they're walking through this very clear like Middle Eastern analog, and right. here come these you know, um, you know, veiled faced, mm-hmm. you know, jihadist looking people attacking them. Yeah. I mean, it seemed very clear that you know, it, it, and it and it played with that idea that you know the rebellion could go one of two ways, and it right. could turn into that. It could turn into what Saw Gerrera's thing had kind of been, where he was you know basically a a Bin Laden kind of character, mm-hmm. hiding out mm-hmm. and and just you know trying to take pot shots at the empire rather than trying to be part of something bigger. Yeah, I mean, his his whole philosophy was that like the empire is gonna, the empire just wants to kill us. So there's no time for diplomacy. There's no time for anything. We had we just have to strike back right now. Right, but like he wants to strike, but he doesn't have any kind of bigger like he can't really think beyond Jeddah. Right. Um, and so all he can do is make really small, you know, incursions into what they're doing, and he's a, like seems to be unaware of the scope of what the empire is trying to do because the death star is just such a like mind blowing, huge. Oh yeah. You know, uh, that's a strength, a strength to, to Gareth Edwards, by the way, who created just like an amazing sense of scale in this movie. Yes. Well, I mean, he did such a good job with Godzilla. Yeah. Um, but, but I mean, but did you, I personally, if I could say something about Sagara, I didn't really like, I didn't really like the character that much. Yeah, and I thought I mean, the scenes kind of were kind of you know, I thought Forrest Whitaker's portrayal was a little weird. <laughs> I think his decision to 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 use his voice that accent, um, I don't know, it just didn't sit right with me. Well, what I was kind of interested in is the fact that he is kind of like backwoods Vader. Okay, because he's yeah. got a breathing apparatus. He's mostly machine. That's true. That is true. So he's sort of a Vader analog. Um, and I think, again, is sort of meant to show the direction the rebellion could go and that if they kept going in a certain direction, that they're basically the Empire. Mm-hmm. That there's just no difference there. Which, going back to Matt's comments about the Hunger Games, which I thought was something brilliant, the final Hunger Games movies explored. I haven't read the books, but like the, the, the final chapter of the Hunger Games deals with is that, you know, that what looks like a rebellion could actually just be a power play between two, you know, equally despotic individuals. Um, I mean, I don't know if that's Saw's thing, but I thought that the visual language there around him to me was trying to evoke a Vader-esque thing to have him, you know, having to use a rebreather and and all of that. There's just something very Vader-esque about him to me. The way you've kind of framed him, Chuck, is sort of kind of come around a little bit on the character. It kind of makes me respect him a little bit more as a character. Um, I just thought that his scenes in particular kind of slowed down the narrative itself. Like, I just think from like a, I don't know, he felt from a practical standpoint, just, just kind just, of felt. I'll just say I didn't like muddy. him. I didn't like him. As far as the movie goes, he was the one hole in the movie to me. Didn't yeah. Like, I mean, I had a couple of moments. This tentacle monster. I didn't, yeah, I didn't was, like his hair. Yeah, there was a feeling – there's a feeling to me that when I was watching the movie that there was some stuff that could have been trimmed out of the movie. Yeah. And I feel like his character could have been 
completely out. gone. Um, I mean, we would have we would not have necessarily had the whole Jetta sequence, which I thought was yeah. really great. But I I felt a little bit like, yeah, what's he doing in here other than uh, other than for folks who are part who are fans of the bigger franchise of Star Wars to like have a connection to say mm-hmm. like, oh, I watched Clone Wars. Oh, here's where this character wound up. Right. Um, so yeah. part of the kind of multi-branding and multi-media f- format that 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 new Star Wars is kind of embracing, um, I, I can see why they would include him. But for those of us who just watched the movies, uh, he mm-hmm. still a little bit kind of wrenched in there maybe. A little bit. At the same Just time, he is kind bit, of essential. But... Yeah, a little, a little bit. But he's also essential to you know Jane getting that message from her father. Right. Well, and they also set up. So. I also think they do a pretty good job of kind of setting up with just one shot of him sort of serving as her surrogate father. Right. And so having those kinds of connections, like it, it helped build her as a character. I think to have those interactions with him. I just didn't like the, I just 100% didn't like the aesthetic choice of his character or his portrayal. Like JP said, the weird voice thing drove me nuts. I don't know. Like <laughs> yeah. Weird voice that, I mean, that's, that's like a Forrest Whitaker thing. He's, he's been kind of making those decisions lately yeah. as an actor. And like, mm-hmm. But I'll just say, apparently yeah, he does the same thing in arrival. He does like a weird voice. Yeah. So just personally, I, 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 just, I just didn't like the choices with the character, not necessarily the character, just the choices, the look, the voice, just drove me nuts. Is I he, said he has unbreakable hair. He has the same hair <laughs> as Mr. Glass and Unbreakable. Is he supposed to be like Immortan Joe? Is that like his, like he's like sort of the Star Wars version <laughs> yeah. of Immortan Joe, but yeah. like not as like monstrous? Mediocre. Or as good. <laughs> That's what this movie needed. Immortan Joe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> give us, give us, uh, give us, oh wait, can, just take a moment. A George Miller Star Wars. Oh, that would be so sweet. I want it now. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, get on it. It's the Obi Wan movie. Oh, no, 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 no. Like no. a Mad Max, like a Mad Max movie, but it's like set in Tatooine, that where it's like dare, racers and dare I say he should do the Bubba Fett movie. Ooh, yeah. If that's even gonna be done, I don't know. I, you know what? Let me take a moment. Just this. This I think is related to the overall topic here this definitely got me much more interested in star wars movies that have nothing to do with the normal people right like now yeah. the idea that like the next one the next standalone star wars movie is gonna be a han solo film and like i mean considering that lord and miller are working on that right yeah like I'm on board. Uh, the way i put it is like it's an idea that i don't like that is an extremely capable of hands yeah <laughs> you but, know but i but I, I i kind of want from that point forward like you know, give me anything, you know, go, you know, let's go nuts. Like, give, yeah. me, give me a G rated like Ewok movie, not like those other Ewok movies. Like, give me, you know, give me a kitty movie with Ewoks. Give me like, you know, like let's give me an R rated, you know, a Jedi movie set like thousands of years in the past. Give me like, you know, like the Sith. Yeah. Like, give like me, how the rule of two can be, can to be. Yeah, like give us like give us like just crazy bonkers stuff that just doesn't have to deal with any of the familiar I, characters. I have an idea for a Star Wars story. Do you guys want to hear my idea? Yes, pitch it. Okay, it's about a group no. of medical. I, I just felt like I, somebody needed to say no. He's always got to be that guy, doesn't <laughs> check. He's always got to be I that do. guy. That's what I'm here for. It's why you have <laughs> me. But no, I actually do. There's a group of medical. A group of medical droids that become the galaxy's most feared pirates. Are they harvesting organs? 
No, they just they become pirates. Okay. But seriously, though. <laughs> are, you, are you listening, Kathleen Kennedy? But okay, seriously. Can I go back all, to my no? Sure. But <laughs> so seriously, though, like an all droid, an all droid Star Wars movie. Give me that. I would love that. I would love that. Yeah. Give me that. Every droid they come up with is awesome, so I'm sold. Like, um, <laughs> then like Wally, you know. You know, and if you, and if you have to, if you have to stick in one familiar character just for the sake of sticking in a familiar character, that'd be a perfect place for IG88 to make an appearance. Oh yeah, um, fan favorite, fan favorite, uh, fan favorite bounty hunter droid IG88 with his stupid buddy Dengar. Um, <laughs> Right, he hung out with Dengar, or was Dengar yeah. Boba Fett's buddy? Well, I mean, they Dengar kind of hung out on his own instead of IG-88, but sometimes they teamed up. Uh, the, the 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 buddies were Zuckus and um, Forlom. Zuckus and Forlom. Oh, we got Forlom. We got Forlom. Lost, man. These are all the bounty hunters, man. I know. Lost, man. <laughs> I'm that, gone. that scene in Empire where, where Vader is talking to all these, these are all the bounty hunters. And then there's my favorite, Bosk. Oh, yeah, like a Bosk. I love Bosk. <laughs> and Bosk's action figure. Yeah, and IG. Um, he has a cool ship. I like his ship, the Houndstooth. Yeah. Every time I think I'm doing okay holding my own, you guys just go to a whole nother level. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised you don't know any of these characters, Matt. I really am, actually. I really am. Um, but yeah, that, that actually kind of leads me into. I mean, if if you guys have anything else to say about Rogue One, I was going to ask you what what do you want to see from Star Wars from here on out? And I guess the the answer is more blatantly original stuff, stuff we've never seen before, stuff we've never really conceived I mean, of. Give, give me the movie of Donnie Yen's character, bef- like, when he was, like, just, just, just give me more Donnie Yen's character. Let's make a movie where we go find out who the, who, who the frickin' Wills are. Let's do that. Here's the thing. Like, I want to see Donnie Yen's character, like, alongside the Jedi. Like, when the Jedi are in their prime, when Jedi is still, like, yeah. I just want like to a see, holy city. I just want to see a good Jedi movie. We've never That's actually gotten to see a Jedi movie. We saw That's true. we saw Luke's journey to becoming a Jedi. We saw the crappy stuff in the prequels. We've never seen a good Jedi movie. I want to see a good Jedi movie. I want to see a, a Jedi who is one hundred percent full on Jedi, not training. Not. There's, I want to see a movie. Some, what kind of crap good, do they have to face? Some good stuff in the in the Clone Wars. I gotta say. Yeah, I haven't watched. That's what I've heard. I've heard Clone Wars, the Clone Wars show, redeems so much of the prequels. It really does. It really shows like what could have what could have been if somebody else was was in charge of it. Yeah, like, like, like and I do. Like the world itself was not a bad idea. It's just the storytelling was. Yeah, bad. Like, there's cool characters like like General Grievous. I'd love to know more about him because like one of the cool things that I thought that I that I learned about the character that does not appear at all on screen in Revenge of the Sith is that you know is that he's using four lightsabers, but his lightsabers are from Jedi he's killed. Yeah, and but plus that's in those prequels, a cool little touch. Yeah, and plus in those prequels, you don't even really see the Clone Wars like at all. Right. Like there are no Clone Wars in those movies. Right, which drove me nuts because like the only thing that's interesting about the Clone Wars is that line that Obi Wan says in A New Hope, where he's like, yeah. "Your father served with me long, like in the Clone Wars. You fought in the Clone Wars, and it's like, okay, Clone Wars. There's clones and they're at war. I'm on board. What <laughs> yeah. are we doing here? And then it's like, <laughs> and then we do Attack of the Clones, and then which ends with Yoda saying. The clone, the War of the Clones, begun. It has is that the last line of that stupid movie, and then begun. The Clone Wars have. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, and then you're like, oh, and then you do, you don't see them. You don't. See <laughs> well, yeah, them. I, I I highly recommend uh, the Clone Wars. I mean, it, it it very much is for children, 
but like they're they're written by adults who you know are just like ex- super stoked to be writing for Star Wars, so they inject a lot of really good storytelling. Yeah. Um, but but you got to be careful. You, there are certain guides you should probably look for online and like how to watch it because you will run into a Jar Jar episode. I highly recommend skipping those. Yeah, that's a, that that is an area of the <laughs> Star Wars universe that I could do less with. <laughs> yeah. Unless it's like, like I actually I would be you know. I, I wouldn't actually be too opposed to seeing things happening on Naboo as a planet. Just don't take me under the lake. Um, I'm fine. By the way, that's a lake, right? In in that, like... Well, they go through the planet core. But there's, like... But they make it look like it's a friggin' lake, and there's, like... Are we trying to make sense of these Leviathan. crappy movies? Yes, we are. Look, they're crappy yeah. movies. I told, I told JP the thing that would make me happiest is if they rebooted them. Just go redo the prequels. Pretend they never happened. Redo them 100%. Because the, the I'd way... rather just live with them than <laughs> to, I, to, I say, to go through that again. I think here's, yeah, I'm with you. I think here's a great here's a great um a great time to bring up one of my favorite aspects of this movie and my theory about this aspect that I I had to share with somebody. Um, there's no opening crawl. Right. Oh uh, yeah. It's just long ago in a galaxy far far away. Dot dot dot. Yeah, what'd you guys think about that? Movie starts. I, I like. I, I personally like my theory that it was a big backhand slap in the face to the prequels, um, saying that this is the original starting point of the movie. So there's no opening crawl because this is the opening crawl. It's in a galaxy oh. long ago in a galaxy far, far away. Dot dot dot. Movie. And then when you get to A New Hope, what's the opening of A New Hope? This movie, that's a good and then point. the crawl about what's happening. So this yeah. movie was the original starting. Oh, that's point. an interesting idea. So it's a backhand slap in the face to the prequels, just going, "We don't need to reference you." Bam. But but, but then they have Jimmy Smith who played Bail Organa. No 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 <laughs> nonsensing about after he became Vader on the planet of whatever he traveled to this and going. They're just like, no nope, no nope, none of that movie. Um, you know it's funny. I actually read the. The opening crawl. Well, I'm trying to find it. But when you read the opening crawl, um, that this movie really is the first two paragraphs. Yeah, of a new hope. Of the crawl. Yeah. <laughs> it is, it, this is where the after franchise a, started. After a space battle. It says it is a period of civil war. Rebel spaceships striking from a hidden base have won their first victory against the evil galactic empire. During the battle, rebel spies managed to steal secret plans to the empire's ultimate weapon, the Death Star, an armored space station with enough power to destroy an entire planet. And then we get to the story now pursued by the empire's sinister agents. Princess Leia races home aboard the starship, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. Right. Which does have like that kind of like previously on star mm-hmm. wars exactly yeah, yeah so like it's like every movie part two of... every movie has the crawl which is a previously which leads into where we're starting this one is like no previously this is where we're starting hmm. long ago <laughs> in a galaxy far far away our movie yeah it maybe also, that's just the uh it also yeah. starts with one does it rogue one i'm just saying like it's one. Oh yeah yeah, yeah that's true that's yeah oh yeah so, can, can I also, JP, do I, do I have time to also attempt to explain to our audience the awesomeness of how this movie ties into our nerdy discussion of years ago? Go, go for see, it. See, in a, previ- in a previous episode, JP referenced this by saying that Matt claimed that, that Matt Wells, yours truly, claimed that Schindler was not a hero. <laughs> do you remember this reference? I do remember place? this he reference. He threw me under the bus. It may have even been like episode one. 
of our, <laughs> um, he threw me right under the bus. What happened was JP began this discussion out of nowhere, which I think you got from a show somewhere. I got from Clerks. Got from Clerks. Began the discussion of what about all the contractors on the Death Star that are building it? And Death Star they just kill. They just killed all these innocent people. And which began my argument of there is no such thing as an innocent person on the Death Star because they know what they're building. They're building a weapon of mass destruction to kill people. And I said the most heroic thing would have been to choose death rather than help build it. And he proceeded to say, well, what about Schindler, who (laughs) chose to build munitions for the Nazis so that he could save Jews in his plant? And I was trying to play devil's advocate and say, but would it be... The devil never needs an advocate. You know, when you say that, the devil just doesn't need one. And I said, but would it have been more heroic to die rather than to help make the weapons that are killing thousands while you're saving thousands, (laughs) maybe? This movie, 100% that discussion. This was a movie about a Schindler character who chooses to build the Death Star as a contract laborer so that he can build in a fail-safe program to destroy it and save people. But in doing so, he cost two cities and later a planet so that he could save everybody else. It is 100% our discussion about space Nazis and Schindler. It also deals with the fact that the people who are involved in the building of that, um, some of them feel guilty about it. Like Bodhi, Mm -hmm. he defects because he feels guilty about participating in this. Um, which is kind of interesting. I love Bodhi, guys. I really did. Like, I thought... Uh, Patrick Swayze is so cool at that character. Um, (laughs) I think I'm going to name my firstborn son Bodhi. I think it's going to happen. Bodhi Post? That's great, right? It's got a, it's got a, you guys going to go for bat for me? Totally. Uh, My son's name is Bond James Wells, JP. I'll go for, I'll go to bat for whatever you want. So guys, you want to talk a little bit more since we have a little bit of time left. Um, you want to talk about the sort of the spirituality of star Wars and especially in this movie? No. Um, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I, I, that guy, I'm sorry. I think it's, I think it's pretty apparent that the overall message and theme was hope. Right. Yes. I mean, they said it no less than seven times in that movie. Yeah. And it's the last word uttered in the whole movie by Princess Leia, which trans transitions into a new hope. Yes. So what did you what did you guys see? Did you did you take anything from that you saw from somewhere a spiritual standpoint from Rogue One? Matt? I I am one with the force and the force is with me. (laughs) Yeah, I I like that prayer. That was I've heard. I, I, I read somewhere because, you know, this is what we do after we see these movies. You read everything that we, that we you know, every review. Unless, everything unless you're in the academy. <clears throat> that. But I read somewhere that um, I think it was I read somewhere that um, that Buddhist viewers of this movie really appreciate that because the rhythm of his prayer sounds like a particularly common Buddhist mantra. Really? Yeah. And so that there's – because, I mean, that's the, the, the force is like, you know, a little bit Buddhism, a little bit New Agey stuff, you know. I mean, come on. I mean, I know it was a kyber crystal, but they gave the kyber crystal necklace to her. So it was like the force is connected to crystals. Like I, there was a little bit of – I was like, oh, okay. You know, it, but hey, it's yeah. – it is – I will take that. Fantasy and it's – billion times any day of the week over a midichlorian. Oh, yeah, totally. No, I agree with <laughs> yeah. you on that. Maybe the midichlorians like, live in the crystals. Give me the crystals over midichlorians. 
Um, by the way, it's like rings in Middle Earth, right? Mm-hmm. By the way, I like that they explained that the, that the laser of the Death Star is powered by a yeah. kyber crystal core, like by, by kyber crystals. It is basically with, one gigantic lightsaber. So here's something. Yeah. Here's this is a nerd <laughs> moment, real quick. By the way, here's a nerd moment. So the only discounting the prequels. The only green lightsaber that we see is the lightsaber that Luke builds for himself after he loses it mm-hmm. in um, in Empire. So we, in Return of the Jedi, he has a green lightsaber. The laser of the Death Star is a green laser. Are is we? It yeah. Let's take another look. What the Death Star's laser is not green. It's three different colors. The Death Star's laser is very clearly green. Red, yellow, and green. When the when it makes that cone around the dish, it is green. Watch, watch, watch the movies, man. When it shoots out the cannon, you see three colors: red, yellow, and green. They spiral together. But it is, it is, it is, it's predominantly green. It is predominantly so, green. Anyway, so the point I'm trying to make red. is: are we, are we, are we to, are we to believe that Luke has somehow acquired a crystal from fr- the Death Star? From the Death Star that he destroyed, and that's. <laughs> the crystal he used to make his lightsaber. That'd be pretty funny. Um, that's all I was trying to say with it. That, or maybe that, or or maybe maybe because in you know, the prequels, Yoda is shown using a green lightsaber. Maybe Yoda gave him. Well, his. They were always supposed to be like random, but. Uh. Well, there's a the and the, there's a deleted scene out there, isn't there, where he's building the lightsaber? Yes, for Return of the Jedi. Yeah. Does it there give is. any idea of where it came from? No. Or it just shows him putting the thing together. Yeah, it's like putting together a flashlight. That's it's pretty cool, though. Um, neat. So, okay, well, that was my little fan theory. Um, <laughs> it's kind of, I, I like it, though. But I like them. Um, well, I mean, time. in this one, they go to, they talk about how they're going to great lengths to collect all of the crystals. So, I mean, you could say, like, maybe that's the only place he had left to get one from. What, from the Death Star? Yeah, because yeah. he destroyed Un- it and found unless, it. Unless Luke makes a pilgrimage to Jeddah and he finds, like, one of those crystals I mean, there. They, but, they pretty, um, they pretty full-on destroyed that place. Is there anything to find? Well, I, that, that's that's my question. I mean, did they totally destroy those planets, or was it just, like... No, just the just cities. Just the, the cities. They only fired right. one reactor. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, like, going back to the spirituality of, of, of the... Oh, is that where we were? Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to mine some. I I got two masters of divinity here, and I want want to hear some some, some divinity. uh, I mean, uh, divine takes. Here's the thing I think about Terry Mattingly. Do you remember Terry Mattingly? Yeah, T Matt. Um, Terry Mattingly um, works for the. the, He was part of the Get Religion blog. I can't remember what blog he's involved with now. Religious news service and stuff. Uh, Well, he definitely does stuff with with the religion news service. Uh, Greek Orthodox Christian taught at Palm Beach Atlantic University, taught journalism there. Um, very smart guy. Um, wrote a book called Pop Goes Religion. And in that book, he talks about the force and how it's kind of nonsensical in terms like it doesn't have a coherent spirituality to it. Um, and so I always think about that, how it just it, it the idea of the force in the Star Wars movies is that it hits whatever vague spiritual note we need it to hit for us to know it's spiritual, but there's not really like a consistent like doctrine really thought up around what it is because things are very inconsistent when you watch the movies and, and, and how people speak of it. But that being said, 
I loved how deeply spiritual it felt in Rogue One, right. especially through Donnie Yen's character. Um, through the fact that you have this guy who is a, he, he's not a Jedi, but he's clearly witnessed the power of the Force. He knows the power of the Force. It works through him somehow. He has a relationship with it. Right, um, yeah. And it's much more kind of, his 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 speaking and actions of it is much more around sort of the way that um like zen buddhism will talk about things in terms of like you know the sort of like energies of of creation and things like that like you know the like karma or whatever that that i thought was kind of a uh was a really cool um I thought that was a really cool thing, but then and then like Jetta, like I've, I've we we talked about Jetta, and I know there's that section back that you've said you might not might or might not kind of so we may have already touched on some of this um, in this episode, <laughs> but is Jetta is um, it looks like Jerusalem? That yeah. was awesome. Like it, you know, having been to Jerusalem, it was like really cool to see that. Um, and to see, I love like, those, those Jedi carved out on this carved out in the sand. Yes, because I mean the idea is yeah. that it's it's the mecca of of the Jedi. Um, yeah. And, but like this idea that there are just so many people from all over the universe, um, at this place and that they all have the look of like, there's some kind of pilgrim, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, and one of the things uh, Keelan and I, after we saw the movie we talked about was how, you know, being at Christmas time, this is very pertinent and how it looked like Jerusalem might've looked well, how it looked, you know, 2000 years ago with Roman soldiers walking around. So it was, you know, uh, yeah. a holy city under occupation mm-hmm. and then kind of how it looks now with the um, I'm, I'm bringing in some hot water with some listeners, I'm sure with this one. But <laughs> with um, but with like the IDF forces constantly walking around, because that's the thing that struck right. me about Jerusalem is the military presence is everywhere. Yeah. Um, and how I'm sure a lot of Middle Eastern cities look with, you know, very oh, yeah. US, US, U.S. troops walking around or or local government troops walking around and that kind of that kind of feeling. Um, and so it felt very like it felt very real in that sense, like very like I could connect with that. It didn't feel very like totally science fiction. There was almost mm-hmm. like a like it almost for a moment was like, oh, this is like Dune more than it is Star <laughs> Wars. Um and and so I really liked that aspect of this movie. Um, and like I said, I liked the universe building. But it wasn't. But what was cool about Jetta was it wasn't just weird looking aliens. Mm-hmm. It was just lots of people in really colorful robes and clothes and stuff. And you, most of them you didn't really even see their faces. Right. And um, and so it was just you were just completely left up to the imagination. Like what's going on here? Yeah. I'm gonna lose my nerd card here. I'm I'm sure. And you're all gonna hate me for not knowing the answer to this. But um, but Jetta is very desert, obviously. Yes. So it's in no way connected to the place where they find Luke Skywalker at the end of Force Awakens, is it? No. Different planet. Do yeah. we know what that planet is? Am I um, that, that? That I planet that? is supposed to be the location of the first Jedi temple. Got it. Supposedly, yeah. We'll know more when Episode Eight comes out. Okay. Carry on. <laughs> I don't really know the name of that planet, so I don't no, know. It's, it's, I'm just, I'm but you'll notice that the that the planet Jedha sounds mm-hmm. kind of like Jedi. Oh, oh well, yeah. obviously. Uh-huh. <laughs> so it's probably here's so here's what gets me <laughs> linguistically. I'm sorry if you missed that. <laughs> there's something seriously wrong with you. <laughs> but here's here's something that gets me. So we we refer to Luke as a Jedi. 
Right. But the thing is, is, but that's the thing is, is like Jedi to me would be plural. Mm -hmm. Jedha would be singular. Linguistically, Mm -hmm. like the Jedi would be made up of of individual Jedas. You know what I mean? Like that's anyway. Sorry, I don't. This just a. <laughs> I don't know. That's that just seems to be like where where I'm going with it linguistically, but yeah. Uh, so yeah, so back to the like spirit. alumna and alumni. Anyway, go ahead. So back to the spirituality of Rogue One. <laughs> you guys, did you guys not really get anything out of it? Like, I mean, it's just kind of vague. It's just kind of like. Well, I like that it showed how it got back to something that I think the prequels missed out on where the prequels made it where like the religion of like around the force was seemed to be largely something relegated to the Jedi. Yeah. But you know, the original, you know, a new hope has all these rebels sitting around a room and they're saying to each other, the force be with you, the force be with you. Right. Um, and so I was kind of, I was intrigued by the fact that the Jedi are the, the, sorry, the, the rebels have sort of taken on what the Jedi had left behind and that they're the ones who were maintaining, you know, interest in the force and all of that. The Empire, on the other hand, is like completely just like nonplussed by the force. They're done with it. They don't talk about it. And yeah. even like like you know, they bombed a holy city, so they care right. very little. But like there was this moment, like there's nothing said, I don't think, that made me that, that really triggered this in me. But like when 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 um I can't remember Ben Mendelssohn's character's name. Orson Krennic. Krennic. When Krennic shows up at Vader's castle. There's this moment where I was just like, oh, yeah, he's going to encounter – like, here's this, like, engineering guy. He's an engineer. He's a scientist. He's, like, very, like, non-mystical, non-spiritual. And here he is in the presence of a spiritual, mystical person. Even though Vader's evil, Vader's whole, like, through line throughout all of the original trilogy is the power of the Force is nothing Mm -hmm. compared – you know, or that the Death Star is nothing compared to the power of the Force. And so, like – I don't know. That was just kind of a, there was just some, there was just something about it. Like when encountering Vader, that Vader is Vader's in tune with this thing that the rest yeah. of the empire just seems to just not care about anymore. And to, to the extent he doesn't really care either. Cause I mean, he doesn't care about Jedi that it was right. destroyed. Right. So that, that was interesting. That never occurred to me. Um, no, I think, I think he cares deeply. He just doesn't care about the aspects of it that are, not on the dark side of the force. Uh, well, that's, that's right. well, the that's, distraction of the other side would be well because again, from his perspective, the Jedi are the bad people. Right. It, it right, would yeah. be. I mean, if you think of like religious extremist, he's wiping out the ones who he sees as as um as the false prophets. Yeah, yeah, well, false prophets. yeah, yeah. And once again, I point out that uh, his castle is positioned over an ancient Sith cave, so he definitely has more respect for the Sith than anything related to the Jedi. Yes. So. Well, um, guys, I believe that's all the time we have for this episode. Uh, unless there's anything else you want to say, Matt, Chuck? I seriously forgot my point about 15 minutes ago. That's right. <laughs> really? Here's what I want to say. I hope everyone has a very, very happy life day. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> oh, yes. Go out and go, go seek out... Uh, the Star Wars holiday special. It really is something magnificent that you and your entire family should experience together. Isn't it a solid, like, isn't the opening like a solid 20 minutes of, of Wookiees growling at each other? Oh, it totally is. With no subtitles. 
and then some like and like all the TV shows they watch and the virtual reality thing this the, the <laughs> grandpa Wookiee watches, which is really weird, by the way. And B. Um, Arthur. And B. Arthur is 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 the owner of a cantina. Holiday special is where we got our introduction to uh, Boba Fett. <laughs> yeah, a really horrible animation. Um, and the the entire and, and and Carrie Fisher sings. Oh, that's what we should end this episode on. It's her song. <laughs> oh, I was gonna suggest Weird Al Yankovic a Star Wars Star Wars song, but okay. That's well, which one, Yoda or? Uh... Oh, I, I've got so I, I've got a soft spot in my heart for Yoda. Um, yeah. <laughs> I love that song. I because I had the because um, I had the uh, cassette tape of Dare to Be Stupid. Yeah. Um, but the no, other ones are prequel songs, so you know. Yeah, but no, I was um um, I was thinking um when you're talking about the the uh, the Wookies and their entertainment, it just made me think of a, a random little moment that I loved in Rogue One, which is when they're at Saw's um at Saw's base of operations, and they're those guys and they're playing the virtual chess, but they don't have a virtual chess set, so they have wood carved out versions of all the <laughs> yeah. monsters. And it was that too. That was funny. It's yeah. a cool little touch. Yeah. yeah. Matt. Happy Life Day, Matt. Just say it. <laughs> uh, the Force is with you. I'm one with the Force and the Force is with me. I will have you know, <laughs> I will have you know, JP, there is only one Force in this universe, and that's the Holy Spirit. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> what? I'm going to go burn all my what? Star Wars books. What podcast did we just become? <laughs> we just in that the one, one we've moment. always uh, been the one no we just became <laughs> in that single statement we just became everything we stand against you just you just undermine the rebellion is what you just did yeah uh, thank you for joining us uh once again i'm your jedi master jp with my two jedi younglings father chuck and matt wells thank you guys for joining us are you Thank thinking? You. Are you thinking us for joining us? I'm, I'm thinking. I'm, I'm thinking you for joining us. The the the, the royal I. I'm we. not. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not even going the, to acknowledge his youngling <laughs> statement. But yeah, no. By you 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 would have a hard time with that braid, Father that, Chuck. It was it was good talking to you. It was good talking to yes, you. Thank oh, you. Oh, can we can we comment really, really briefly you. how yes. this is the first what? time we've been in the same room together in like <laughs> in about four months. In like four months, I think. No, it's been uh no for real two two and a half months. Yeah, it's two, been a while. Two or two and a half months since we've been in the same room. It's wow. Good. It's been yeah. a lot longer since JP got his sorry butt back to Florida. And we should also give a shout out to um, our new um, Twitter follower, Priest Pulse. Right. Yeah. I let me give him a shout out last time. I did, um, but I realized in <laughs> retro. I realized in retrospect that that shout out could have sounded like it was backhanded um, yeah. in criticism, and I and I and I hope he doesn't think that. Um, and I only know about Mister um, at Priest Pulse. I only know about your your stuff because Matt screenshotted it to me. I did not break my fast, so don't worry. Um, so I, I so I don't know what other comments there might be out there because I'm still not on social media. Um, but um, okay. we're excited that you're listening. So, and I, I've been so busy with the academy that I haven't gotten to listen to the last episode. Um, so, if Father Chuck offended you, uh, take it out on Father Chuck because I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> so, go ahead. <laughs> All right, guys, thank you so much. Uh, goodbye and good journey, and have a wonderful Christmas holiday. Bye. Bye.